Welcome back to Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm your host, Sejal Govindrao. I hope everyone had a great winter break. And at the pod, we're ringing in the new year with a new co-host, Max Porter. Max, how's it going? I'll let you introduce yourself. Hey, Sejal, I'm doing well. Happy to be co-hosting the podcast. It's a pretty cool opportunity. A little bit about me. I'm a freshman at GW from Connecticut, and I'm planning on majoring in political science. Well, it's great to have you here. And so, Max, getting into this episode, as you know, on January 2nd, Mayor Muriel Bowser was sworn in for a historic third term. She's only the second mayor in D.C.'s history to do so after Mayor Marion Barry served four terms between 1979 and 1991 and later 1995 to 1999. And so today we're diving into Mayor Bowser's and the D.C. Council's 2023 agenda, specifically its major focus on crime and public safety. Can you give us a little context? Absolutely. While crime rates overall are decreasing in the district, violent crime remains high. For context, this is the first time since 2002 to 2003 when the district has seen back-to-back years with more than 200 homicides. There were 226 in 2021 and 203 in 2022. I mean, just three days into the new year, there was a shooting in the D.C. neighborhood of Brightwood that left an eight-year-old and three others wounded. One of the major ways Bowser has been examining combating crime is by focusing on youth intervention, which includes a diversity of after-school programming options for kids so they're less likely to engage in crime. This is why she worked with the D.C. Council to expand funding for out-of-school time programming by 25% over the last two years. And in fact, on January 3rd, Mayor Bowser appointed attorney Lindsay Apia as the new deputy mayor for public safety and justice. For context, Apia spent almost a decade working with juvenile offenders in the district. District. And before working in the office of the deputy mayor for public safety and justice, she served as general counsel and later interim director of the D.C. Department of Youth Rehabilitation Services from 2012 to 2021. And Max Bowser also led a meeting with school leaders on public safety January 11th, discussing the presence of school resource officers. And that's something Bowser had reaffirmed her support for over the last year when she moved to restore funding for police and schools that the D.C. Council had previously axed. Here's a bit from her inaugural address. And while we have had successes, we know we must do more immediately. If a child, for example, commits a violent offense or uses a gun in our city, too often there is no consequence. When we send that child back to the same environment without intense intervention, we have failed that child in our community. We know, especially for our young people, that sometimes accountability is not punishment. It's a lifeline. And so sometimes the best way to save a child and change his trajectory is to require that they get the help they need and that they understand the consequences of their actions. I'm here to tell everybody, we have the facilities, we have the programs that work to get kids on a better path. So we want to work with them if they've been adjudicated, and we want to work with them before they get involved in serious crime. My promise to you is this, to our kids and our community, is that we will use every lifeline to save our children. 
And just going back to your budget statistics, Sajel, I'll mention Bowser allocated $7.8 million of her fiscal year 2023 budget towards expanding out-of-school recreation programs, $3.85 million of which will support at-risk youth. In terms of the impact of this investment, a study conducted by the University of Chicago Crime Lab from 2013 to 2015 showed that a youth intervention program in Chicago led to a 28 to 35 percent drop in crime among those participating. Sajel, you spoke with the Ward 2 D.C. Council member Brooke Pinto, who is now the chair of the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety. Yeah, so I spoke to Councilmember Pinto, and if you'll recall, Foggy Bottom is located in Ward 2, um, but Pinto is now the chair of the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety. That committee oversees places like the Office of the Attorney General, D.C. Courts, the Metropolitan Police Department, Fire and EMS, and the Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement, and she discussed some of her goals in the new year um, as chair, like enhancing public safety in the court system, which includes providing more resources to ensure full staffing, uh, improving support and opportunities for communities by creating job training programs for returning citizens and underserved youth and developing interagency and cross-sector partnerships. And we see that with the council's intent to enhance mental health support for public safety officers. What are some of the upcoming legislative items the D.C. Council is taking up to address crime in this city? The council just overrode the mayor's veto of the D.C. Criminal Code revision 12 to 1. And a bit of background, at the end of last year, the council passed a revised D.C. Criminal Code amendment unanimously. This criminal code revision has been in process for 16 years and hasn't been significantly updated since 1901. So this legislation, while it wouldn't take effect until 2025, if approved by Congress, would be a huge overhaul and would get rid of almost all mandatory minimum sentences, enable juries to serve in most misdemeanor cases, and reduce the maximum penalties for offenses like robberies, carjackings, and gun-related offenses like carrying a dangerous weapon or unauthorized firearm. So why did Bowser veto the criminal code revision? What are the main points of contention? Well, there's a few points of contention. Bowser, at a press conference on January 4th, said she's concerned with overburdening the court system by allowing jury trials for misdemeanors. She also explained that part of her reasoning for vetoing the bill is the elimination of most mandatory minimum sentences and the reduction of some maximum sentences, saying, quote, anytime there's a policy that reduces penalties, I think it sends the wrong message. So, Sajel, just to explain some of the consequences of these changes, if approved by Congress, getting rid of most mandatory minimum sentences would give judges more freedom in sentencing. Essentially, judges would be able to convict defendants to shorter sentences than mandatory minimums would allow them to. On the other end of the spectrum, with the provision of lower maximum sentences, experts say that while critics fear sentence reduction would lead to higher rates of recommitted crimes, many studies have found that second offenses are actually more likely with longer sentences. An analysis by senior advisor to the Open Philanthropy Project, David Rudman, of five incarceration studies found that four out of five studies found longer sentences mean more rearrests after release. Right, and Pinto told me she believes the bill will make the city's approach to crime reduction more equitable. Prosecutors bring mandatory minimums 65% more often against black defendants, according to the University of Michigan Law School. And the Sentencing Project, a D.C. nonprofit that advocates for effective and humane responses to crime, wrote a letter in support of the bill, particularly in favor of its provisions to eliminate most mandatory minimum sentences and lower maximum sentences to 45 years for all crime, which the project says would help mitigate mass incarceration. Here's what Pinto told me about these provisions. 
Thank you so much for joining me today, Councilmember Pinto, and you're now the chair of the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety, so congratulations on that as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Could you talk me through a little bit of what you foresee happening next with the Criminal Code Act, and if it's passed, what would that mean? This is a a rewrite and a modernization of our code that is long needed. So the, mostly what it does is create proportionality in our sentencing and in what we classify as violations of the law and various misdemeanors and felony offenses in different classes that really modernizes our code and brings it into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. It also has the added benefit of making sure that the law is clear uh, for the public, for prosecutors, for judges, courts, and defendants. And so the code rewrite makes everything much more fair and equitable and also much more consistent to apply. Councilmember Pinto told me she's concerned with those maximum sentences being lowered for gun-related offenses like carrying a dangerous weapon or unauthorized firearm because she believes judges should have more discretion with those penalties given how prevalent gun violence is in the district. Some of my concerns outstanding uh, with the bill are around the maximum allowable penalties for gun-related offenses. So one of the things this bill does is get rid of mandatory minimums, which all experts really agree is um, a very archaic way to deal with sentencing and doesn't give our judges the discretion they need to consider the facts and circumstances of each case. But when it comes to allowable maximums, these are usually not applied to the highest degree, but give the judge a little bit more discretion when the facts of the case are really egregious. Right. Last fall, her amendment to raise the maximum sentence for carrying a dangerous weapon or unauthorized firearm from two years to four years failed three to ten. Councilmember Charles Allen of Ward 6, who chaired the committee when the initial bill passed, opposed her amendment and said there was no concrete data to show this would reduce gun violence. Yeah, so essentially she told me that she finds it more productive to pass the bill and continue working on it this year to address concerns that have been raised. We have three years until the code uh, modernization is implemented. This code rewrite doesn't go into effect until the end of 2025. So as the chair, I am going to be working this year with all of those partners, including the mayor and the attorney general um, and my council colleagues and other public safety experts to make sure that concerns that the mayor or uh, folks in the community have can be adequately addressed. But vetoing the bill, um, I don't believe, is a productive path forward. In the coming months, the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety aims to reform the Office of Unified Communications to lessen emergency call response times, ensure first responders have the tools they need to effectively respond to incidents, coordinate with the Committee on Transportation and the Environment to enhance safety for residents, especially women and LGBTQQIA plus residents on public transit, and enhance mental health support for public safety officers, among other priorities. Thanks, Max. That's all we have for this week's episode. We'll be keeping an eye on this legislation and more broadly, how Bowser and the council move to address crime this year. Thanks for listening.